Now, I have to admit, I'm not super fond of this episode, um, but that's because it's not really the episode that, frankly, should be the season ender, or excuse me, the series finale for Enterprise. I think the previous episode, Terra Prime or whatever it was, is a much better season. In... Hang on, hang on. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong notes. This isn't These Are the Voyages. You could tell why I would get confused since it's the same. <sighs> Terry O'Quinn shows up in this episode. Uh, he plays Admiral Pressman. He does a good job of the role, actually, which is no surprise. I like Quid in general. Uh, if you have heard of him before, you could, you've could you probably remembered him from Lost, if anything. But he does some good stuff elsewise. <laughs> uh, yeah, this episode was basically designed as a way to try and explain something. Why the hell hasn't the, the Federation ever developed cloaks? Now, you know what the official explanation up until now has been? I kid you not, we don't sneak around. Which is incredibly stupid. Sorry, Gene, but that's really dumb. Especially since that's the official explanation. There is a overwhelming wealth of possibilities and benefits from having something like a cloaking device. Never mind a phasing cloaking device, which even the Romulans were working on. You remember that? Next phase, Rolaren, who... Where the hell has she been, by the way? She's still on the crew, right? Anyways, <clears throat> I'm sure she'll never come up in Season 7. Anywho, let's get to the episode proper. I'm going to backload quite a bit of the, the discussion here, so let's let's just save that for then. So we, first we see Picard Day. Now, I really like Picard Day. This goes back to the whole apartment complex in space thing I keep referring to. Because it makes sense, right? There, there's something incredibly logical about this. Them all getting together and celebrating someone who is effectively a celebrity. No, seriously, Picard is a huge celebrity in the Federation in general. You, you can't tell me the kids on the ship don't venerate him too, right? And according to Troy, they actually look forward to this stuff every year. Funny little fact, by the way, all those little uh, things that they show in the, in the panning shot, those were actually made by kids at a couple of elementary schools. Just thought I'd share that, because that's actually kind of neat. I want you to picture for a second. Someone walks in and says, Hey, kids, I need you to make something about Captain Picard for an episode of Star Trek. That would be so cool. It's such a minor thing, but still. Anyways. <clears throat> and so, of course, he's got the Picard doll. Make it show. <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> we find out that a Romulan agent... Uh, knows that the, uh, excuse me, a Federation agent in Romulus tells us that they're looking for the Pegasus. I have no doubt whatsoever that there is no intended connection here because of the nature of how they treat continuity in Star Trek, but I've wondered for some time if this was Koval. If you're wondering who that is, we'll actually be discussing him next week. I, I checked it on the calendar for Inter Emin Kianin Flagen Flugen. I, I looked up the pronunciation of it when I did the rumination on it, I swear. I don't remember it right now. But that episode's going live next week, so a week from tomorrow. And he's he's the Romulan in that episode. That's all I'm going to say on the off chance you haven't said it. I'm just curious if this was the guy who was involved with that, because there's a lot of possibility there, especially given the time frame. Th remember, this only happens uh, roughly five years before those events. Like, almost to the day, or to the week, or month, or however you want to think of that. So, it's, it's possible. Then, 
we have a nice little dance that happens between the captain of the Romulan ship, or excuse me, the commander of the Romulan ship, and Captain Picard. No, our, our objectives are incompatible. There's no danger here. We'll go scan over there. Smile, smile, smile. The whole thing, it's, it's very amusing as usual. They talk a little bit about Will and the way he was. Now this is Ensign Will, which is going to be important in a minute, by the way. And Ensign Will is someone who was seven, seven months out of the academy. Yeah, <laughs> I could see. I mean, imagine if Harry Kim had the, the events happen to him, you know, especially right after, you know, right when he joins Voyager. In fact, he kind of did act that way in early Voyager, didn't he? Hmm. And then he started to grow, and then the creators forgot about him because they're stupid. I'm never forgiving them for that. Harry Kim was an interesting character that the creators were bored with. What the? Anyways, anyways. So, <laughs> um, he's super serious, super career-driven. Yeah, that does make sense, especially for early Will, since that was his big shtick. I want to I be a Starfleet captain by 35. <laughs> <clears throat> so they talk about things in very vague terms, but Moore, who was writing this episode, does a good job with basically giving us all the information we actually need. There's an experiment, it went wrong, the crew went bad, and a lot of people died. That's really all we need to know. I mean, how many times have you heard the words experiment followed immediately by went wrong, and you're just like, uh-huh. It's kind of like water is wet. Like it's, It just kind of fits rather naturally together. So, uh, I like the description. This is, this is a Riker-centric episode, if it's not obvious. I like the description Picard gives. He's going through all these resumes. And they're all boring and bland and dumb. All sorts of, you know, accolades and wonderful careers. It's just wonderful resumes. And they're all boring and dumb and bland. Man, have I been there. I haven't done a lot of resume work. That is to say, the person reviewing resumes. But every time I have, it's like, uh-huh. 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 Yep, yep. You, you, you used the... Office Word program, or whatever it was called back then, I actually don't remember. And you use the default resume template, and you've got all these accolades. This doesn't tell me jack <laughs> about you or yours, right? I've always said there's a little bit of an art to, well, to hiring people in general, actually, to recruitment and to interviewing and all that fun stuff. Picard apparently is, is of the same mindset, because he notices the record thing. And he finds out that Riker challenged his captain uh, in, over on the Hood, which I, I've always wondered, was the Hood a British ship? <laughs> she would just amuse me. Anyways, anyway. <clears throat> challenged his captain on the Hood because he believed he was right, and he did so at the, for the sake of the ship. Picard was like, yes, that's my first officer. We could tell from the beginning Picard wanted two things from a first officer. He wanted someone who would challenge him, which is important. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to be Jellico. He wants someone who gives an, a contradictory opinion to work with him in, in, in a non-rivalry way, but in a teamwork kind of a way. Second thing he wanted was someone who was going to put the safety of the ship before how good it'll look on his resume. And he says that pretty specifically. He says it far more eloquently than I do. But that is what he's trying to say. Most first officers, and this is something that's that's been said several times across the franchise, are trying to become captains. So they try to have a squeaky clean resume and they try to do whatever they can to make sure, and I keep using the word resume, it's not really a resume, it's the record, right? But that's effectively what it is. They want that resume to look as polished as possible. So they tend to toe the line 
a lot because they're trying to get promoted. Riker wasn't afraid to shift out of that, and that's what caught Picard's attention. Valid. I like that. Of course, Pressman, I keep wanting to say Quinn, by the way, because the actor's name, so forgive me if I screw up, but Pressman, he wants the exact opposite. He wants someone who is going to enforce his will and to stand with him loyally to the bitter end, no matter what the cost. Now that's funny, because if you remember, Jellico had kind of a similar mentality way back in Chain of Command. Not completely the same. Basically, he wanted Riker to be the implementer of will. No pun intended. You know, I'm going to give you an order, and then you're going to go implement it. I don't want feedback on it. I don't want you to talk about it. I've given you an order. Go do it. Now, I trust you. I trust you to do it the way you, you're going to do it. And I trust your expertise and knowledge. So I'm going to give you a vague order, and you're going to give me a specific result. And that was his approach. And really, there was nothing wrong with that, as I defended back in Chain of Command. Pressman, on the other hand, he's probably the kind of captain I wouldn't like serving under personally. I don't know, what do you guys think? <laughs> Anywho. So Riker talks across Crusher about this whole thing. It's a nice scene. By the way, did you know Ronald Moore, obviously, and Naren Shankar both wrote The First Duty as well? I point that out because there's a lot of shades of that in this. But this is when Picard finds out that there was a mutiny. Now that's unheard of. In fact, it's so unheard of, I decided to do a little digging. You know how many mutinies have occurred prior to this moment in Starfleet? Ever? Five. Two of which were on Discovery, by the way. Although I count those because they did happen before this, technically. So there's the two mutinies on Discovery. You probably know the ones. There's the bit with um, Garth. You remember him? Uh, Whom Gods Destroy, I believe, was the name of the episode. It, to get, put this in a little bit of perspective, Garth went insane, like legitimately lost his mind, and ordered his crew to massacre an entire planet. That's, that's what required a mutiny, okay? That's what we're thinking. That's the level, the scale. Also, this is kind of a technically, but Lester, also original series, Turnabout Intruder. That was when the woman took Kirk's body and they led a mutiny against what they believed to be Kirk, which was actually against Lester. So again, insane, crazy psychopath. That, that's the level it takes to have a mutiny. And the fifth is, of course, the one on the Pegasus, the one they referenced. That's it. That's it. By the way, I tried for amusement's sake to count how many mutinies happen in the Mirror Universe. I lost count because it's kind of hard to track them because of how much they just bleed into the next mutiny, which bleeds into the next mutiny. If it makes you feel any better, there are approximately five mutinies just in A Mirror Darkly. Wait, I didn't count the one at the end. Six. Six mutinies just in A Mirror Darkly. <sighs> Mirror Universe, am I right? Anyways. So, it's understandable why Picard would be like, dude, because this is unheard of. So he tries to figure out what and Riker, of course, can't really answer this. So Picard lays into him. I'll come back to that, but this is where that whole truth thing kind of comes in. Picard even threatens Riker, and it's like, dude, get over yourself. I'm sorry. I know that Picard's got this whole truth thing going on, but to be completely blunt, there are more important things when it comes to the incredibly complex geopolitical situation of running a ship and a nation. I'm getting a little off topic. I'll get to that later. Anyways, 
So they're like, aha, we found the Pegasus. It's in that asteroid. We need to go in there. We can't beam in too much rock in the way. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, we can't drill in because that'll draw the attention of the Romulans. Still making sense. We can't take shuttles in because there's gravity. What? Like, they give the most ham-fisted, stupid possible explanation for them not taking the shuttle in. Now, we know why. It's because they want them to use the cloaking device on the Enterprise. But this is really, really dumb. I'm pretty sure a shuttle could go inside of that asteroid just fine. Actually, shuttles going into asteroids is actually a regular mission type over an STO. Anyways, I know, I know, not canon. It's just, this is dumb. So then they decide to take the Enterprise in, which is actually somehow stupider. They don't even think about separating it. You get rid of that giant, wide saucer section, probably a lot easier to ease the battle bridge in there. Just saying. Okay, whatever. Romulans, yeah, okay. So then they see the Oberth, which is in rock, which actually is a very powerful image, by the way. And they find out it's a cloaking device. Okay, that sucks. It's a phasing cloaking device. That's, that's even more horrifying. Okay. This is when the Treaty of Algernon thing comes in. Now, this was Ronald D. Moore, something he pushed for very hard. He wanted there to be a concrete, in-lore explanation for why the hell we don't have cloaks in the Federation. And this was it. This was his offering. Here we go. We signed a treaty with the Romulans 70 years ago, or 60 years ago, excuse me, at this point, that said we won't do this as part of the, the fallout of the Tomed incident. <sighs> I've actually had a brief dialogue with Lore Reloaded about this exact topic because, as I've said many times, one of the biggest problems is they were making a lot of this up as they go. I mean, the Treaty of Algernon is being referenced here, but this is the first time... I mean, it's been referenced before, but this is one of the first times it's really been codified as a thing in Season 7 of TNG. This is how late in the game they're coming up with this crap. So there's a really, there's just a giant canvas of empty holes in the lore in between Star Trek VI and Encounter at Farpoint. This whole gap here is, is almost a blank sheet. We know so little about what the specifics of what happens in that period of time. So, all I have to say about it is there was a sufficiently damaging military encounter between the Federation and the Romulan Star Empire, the Tomed incident, and as a direct consequence of that, both sides decided to sit down and parlay. As a consequence of this, the Romulans did what they do best. They played at politics. They used this as a situation to try and push the Federation into concessions to make sure the Federation would be at a... basically would be on the back foot. The Federation being the peace-loving idiots that they are, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it that way, but it, this was the era at this point in history when the Federation was a little bit too treaty-happy. An era that will continue until Season 6 of DS9, by the way. And as a consequence, they were desperately to, trying to do this, so they went ahead and gave up these concessions, including the cloaking thing. Now, my, my opinion is probably getting out across in my tone, but I'm just laying out facts at the moment. We'll get into talking about this topic later. I want to save that for last, okay? Regardless of the why and the wherefore, um, they go ahead and take it out. The Romulans offer to get them out, which is an incredibly stupid idea. <laughs> they, they think about how they can get out of here. I'm a little surprised that their best options are stupid, stupid, oh wait, let's use the extremely experimental tech. You can't tell me this crew can't come up with some other option. I can't, off the top of my head, but I'm not a brain genius like, like Data or LaForge. There's a nice bit, credit to Moore, 
Riker on the Pegasus challenges him about this, about the, about the ideology, about the, the violation of the treaty. And he uses terminology. Um, we signed in good faith, you know. Very similar terminology to when Picard challenges him on it, on the Enterprise, where he uses almost the same word choices, like word for word. It's just a nice little touch that shows how much in lockstep the two have become over the years. Just, just I like that. Anywho, <clears throat> so... Then they phase through the rock. Now, I, I know, I know, special effects, budget, they were making a movie, and two other shows, I get it. The special effects for them phasing through the rock suck. They could have done a lot of very cool things with this. They didn't. Moving on. <laughs> if there was, that's just such a cool idea, then whatever, whatever. Anyways... Pressman the whole time looks very smug, which amuses me because, I mean, of course he does. It, it works. He has just proven it works. So they get out. <sighs> Quick addendum before I talk about the end of the episode. Uh, so Riker's going to have to go to some kind of hearing, right? First point. Thomas Riker's going to have to go to the same hearing. No, seriously. That happened before the split, so they're both... It, it hits both of them. Wah, wah. Second point, someone actually asked Ronald D. Moore in an AOL chat, does this, does the defiant treaty that happens over in DS9 exonerate Admiral Pressman? To which Ronald Moore said, no, of course not, dude, come on. Um, also, Riker, of course, has to be, stand trial for this. In one of the books, I forget which one, please forgive me, Pressman is revealed to actually have been, been working with Section 31. He was a part of Section 31. Which actually makes perfect sense to me, because of course Section 31 would actually have a brain and actually try to develop this frickin' device. So let's hit the big point first. Picard decloaks in front of the Romulan Warbird. This is really, really stupid. At every level. This is actually arguably wrong and definitely incorrect. You see, <clears throat> this is a big issue, this whole cloaking violation of treaty thing. This is something that needs to be carefully analyzed, needs to be made public to the Federation, dealt with on an internal level. Actually, I'm not even sure it should be made public now that I'm thinking about it. I take that back. But it should be brought to the attention of internal security. They should actually have hearings back on Earth. This should be looked into internally. But the moment the Romulans become aware of this, they have just been handed, like, 50 victory points in the diplomatic game. You have just flat-out admitted, hey, my government has violated a major treaty, which is the only reason our two powers are at peace. The Romulans could literally use this as a casus belly to go to war. And then, and then, because of the nature of how this works, they could use that war to claim big chunks of territory and then immediately offer a treaty. After all, they were in the right to do this. The Federation were the aggressors. They broke the original treaty. So we'll offer you a new treaty, probably with even more concessions. This is a nightmare scenario. I can't believe Picard would do this. I get that he gets a stick up his ass about the truth, but this is beyond that. This is national-level affairs that he is messing with. In fact, this is superpower-level affairs. He is messing with the delicate balance between the big three. What? Now, I know, I know. Obviously, the war thing probably wouldn't happen because the Klingons and blah, blah, blah. But I'm just trying to get a little bit of, of just a tiny glimpse of how bad this could go. 
even if they, there's not actual conflict, you know what there probably would be? More concessions. Let's make a new treaty, shall we? Uh, let's add a few other things. Because, I mean, you, you obviously can't be trusted to keep your own treaties, Federation. God, this is such a huge deal. I cannot... I, I'm mind-blown by the fact that Picard just does this of his own volition because of his own sense of moral superiority. I'm sorry for sounding so pissy here, but this actually irritates me. He had no right to do this. He was wrong to do this, in my opinion, and he absolutely made the incorrect call from a from a you know a mechanical perspective, a, a pragmatic perspective. Really, that this is what you're going to do, Picard. <laughs> you got to realize the Romulans took this very well. They were in the right to, in that moment, declare the treaty null and void, attack the Enterprise, and either claim or destroy it. They could have done that. They would have been within their legal rights, thanks to Picard's actions. And they would have gotten the Enterprise, the crew, and the device. And now they have all sorts of political prisoners, which they got legally. Smarter people than me have actually analyzed this exact moment. Picard decloaking. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm sure you could find it at this point on YouTube or whatever. I, I, I found stuff in you know, books and interviews and stuff like that back in the day. Much smarter people have diagnosed just how amazingly stupid what Picard does. But Picard's stupidity is really a byproduct of the big thing. So here, let's, let's talk about the big thing. As always, I am curious of your thoughts on the Picard problem. The big problem is the Treaty of Algernon. Now, I would very much like to know your guys' thoughts on this. One of the things I actually like is every time we start ta talking about, you know, large-scale politics or policies or whatever, I get a lot of comments of people who are like, well, no, I disagree, and here's why. Da, da, da. And you give me a well-reasoned and interesting perspective on things, and I love reading that stuff, especially when you guys disagree with me, because then we have different perspectives, right? Like Picard, I actually want people who are willing to stand up to me and disagree with me, assuming you actually do. You can agree with me if you do. What I really care about is that you actually give your honest opinion, but you get the idea. So, <clears throat> let's re-examine for a moment, shall we? First of all, the treaty itself, that happened because the Federation are a bunch of idiots. Someone signed away way too many concessions. Now, you might be like thinking, well, yeah, it's their, it, the elected officials agreed to that. Okay, valid, valid. How much do you think those elected officials who actually signed on that treaty were thinking of the best interests of the Federation. Or maybe they were thinking about their own personal public image, or brownie points, or political affluence. Don't tell me there's no politics in the Federation. We know there are. Now, I point that out because this was 60 years ago. That's a while. By our standards, that's a while. By, by Star Trek standards, that's an eternity. A lot of things can change in that time. Uh, public opinion can change. Uh, overall national uh, support and perspective can change. A lot of things can change. The idea that, what is it, 12 years ago, they were working on a cloaking device? I'm amazed it took them that long. Really, I am. I have no doubt whatsoever that there are special interest groups within the Federation who would be pushing for the development of cloaking devices just in case. Not to, to mass de produce or mass deploy. That would be dangerous for the reasons I mentioned with Picard decloaking. But instead, just to have the technology, have the option. They did steal the Romulan cloak way back in TOS, after all. Do you, it's, it's further an addendum. I've talked so many times about how valuable spying is. 
We always just associate, for some reason, spies with dirty, sneaky, conniving, evil. But spying is an extremely valuable tool for peace and has been proven to be so for decades in real life, if not longer. I'd say probably about the century range at this point, we could say pretty safely. Having a good spy network on your allies and your enemies is incredibly valuable. You know what the cloaking device is? It's the ultimate spying tool. Especially since you can't tell me the Federation could make a better cloak than the Romulans and Klingons, because they freaking could. They're the tech guys. It's their shtick. That and being peaceniks. So, now I know I probably come off as a little war hockey, and you know what? I'll admit that. I, I do come across rather aggressive, diplomatically speaking, but it's partially because I firmly believe in the fact that you have to take into account all factors when being diplomatic with a foreign power, not just peace at any cost, which is what the Federation does. Look at the Dominion War over in DS9. That doesn't start until the end of Season 5. It's the Season 5 to Season 6 changeover when the Dominion War formally is declared. And that, in my opinion, was a gargantuan mistake. Not the fact that war was declared, but that they took so damn long. They allowed the enemy to put a boot on their neck and then press, and then press, and then press, until they could barely breathe. And I'm actually doing this to myself right now, just to make the point. And when they could barely breathe, that's when they decided to say, hang on, stop. But they're already... I, I, that's getting hard to breathe. But the, the, the <laughs> they're already at such a point of weakness that now they're going to have a much harder time pushing back against an enemy that is already at an overwhelming advantage. Forgive me for being pro-Section 31 here, but Section 31 helps to deal with problems like this. So, yeah, go ahead, develop a cloak, develop a phase thing. Don't mass-distribute it. Don't use it publicly. This is a just-in-case. If I was the head of the Federation, I would absolutely approve this project. Of course I would. What would you do? Now, i got a second point here. Because this is all just my opinion on the, the treaty and the nature of it. I'm not actually on Pressman's side, as weird as that may sound. His side is more, screw the treaty, we're going to do whatever we want, because the treaty put us at a disadvantage. My opinion's more, let's, let's stack our deck a little bit just in case. Let's do this a little more carefully. But... Um, <clears throat> The problem is they mutiny over this. Riker acts incredibly indignant over the violation of the treaty. Picard acts incredibly indignant over the violation of the treaty. They all act like this is one of the worst things they could have done. It was your duty as a Starfleet officer, etc., etc., etc. Stick up ass, moving on. And a crew mutinies over this. Why? Let's, again, give a little perspective. What are those other mutinies I mentioned? Discovery, I've said. Discovery, again, that was about wiping out an entire planet the second time. A man who wanted to wipe out an entire planet because he was literally insane, and a woman who was completely insane and psychopathic. These are the other mutinies. Look at this company for a second, and then look at this one over here, which is they were trying to develop a working cloaking device. Am I the only one who sees a massive discrepancy here? This is not mutiny material. I'm actually flabbergasted that these people decided to, to, to try and take over the ship to, to the point of drawing weapons on the, their captain. This is insane. Why, why is this such a big freaking deal? Why is this something that they have to protest with literal firepower?
Why is this something that Ensign Riker has to stand up with a gun in order to defend his captain for? That they have to evacuate the ship over. And, of course, the mutiny... There's this big thing where Riker's all indignant about all the people who are dead. I'm sorry, that device didn't kill them. The mutiny did. Based on all the events that we hear, it's very clear what happened. They rushed down, tried to turn the damn thing off, didn't know what they were doing because they weren't the experts, because they were against the whole thing. It all went to hell. Boop. They're dead. Have fun. Enjoy the mutiny. A little bit of an overblown reaction, I think. What do you think? As always, I am very curious and legitimately interested in what you guys think about the treaty, about Picard's action, about the treaty, and, you know, the whole mess related to that, and about the mutiny. There's a lot to talk about in this one. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I'm looking forward to yours. I'll see you next time, guys.